our series that we're in right now called Overflow. This is week four as we continue to, to navigate this. Last week, I felt strongly compelled to kind of get up and uh, do some bloodletting, so to speak. And so I basically filleted my soul in front of everyone and shared about pain and things that happened in my past. And uh, I have to just say something. First of all, it really speaks to the loving heart of our church family because I got texts all week. I got PMs on Facebook all week. I've got comments all week. I've got phone calls and just encounters with people all week, even at Hi Everybody, which is H-E-B, that's what that means, and just people stopping me at H-E-B to say thank you for, for filleting yourself for us. And so I just want to say thank you to my church family and just how loving, caring, and just what a blessing it is to walk and, and do life with you and navigate this crazy life, because it really is a crazy life, isn't it? I mean, any one of us could tell nutty, crazy stories of where we've been, what we've come through, what we've been through, what's happening, and even maybe things that you're navigating right now in your current circumstance. And it brings me to what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we talked about free from the past. I mean, dealing with the past. Today, we're going to talk about what does it look like to be free for the future? No, free for the present. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because how do you navigate these things? So I spent last Sunday, both services, basically slicing and dicing and saying, here, here are my guts. And then I left and on the way home, I stuck them all back in and sewed myself up. And uh, all that was to do was to let you know that, look, life happens. The wheels fall off. Listen to my words and my enunciation carefully. Shift happens. Thank you. And it just does. And this is the world that we live in because we do live in a fallen world. You know, Paul even announced and gave us a clue that, you know, just because we do get to experience the resurrection power of God, is that not awesome? And if in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he would have stopped with that, it would have been like, let's, the kingdom really is a party. Let's, let's, every day is Friday. Hallelujah. But instead, he kept going because he said, he says this, talking about Jesus, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. And guess what? There's not a period after that. And the fellowship of His sufferings. And so, one of the things we have to make room for is an understanding is that life happens. Wheels fall off. Things break. People betray. Disappointment comes. Now, last week... I spent time talking a lot about that, and then I kept saying, but God, but God, but God. But I didn't give you any real practicals about that, so I felt compelled this week to really dovetail these two together because I can't tell you to live free, be free from your past without saying, well, here's some help to do that. And the only way I know to do that is, again, out of my own personal experience. Because... We can go into theory here, or we can go into what works in real life. And I don't know about you, I'm kind of a rubber-meets-the-road kind of guy. You can tell me a theory, but here's the deal. If you're not walking with a limp as a result of what you've been through, like Bob Wills, I don't trust a man who doesn't walk with a limp. So when you're walking with a limp, and you're still happy, and you're still excited, and you're living up in a down world, and you're navigating life well, I look at you and go, there's something compelling about your experience in your life that makes me want to say, how did you overcome that? And so today I want to share some things, because normally, if I was to preach a sermon like I did last week, 
and get up here and bleed out where the pendulum is way over here, then normally you would come back and swing the pendulum all the way to this side and let's preach an every day's Friday sermon. But that isn't what I felt like the Lord would have me do. So, I'm going to share another experience. Now, I did share this about two years ago, when, when, uh, actually when Randy Frazee was here with us, and he sat there on the front row with his mouth open because he had no idea. So I'm going to share a little bit today about that because we need to not only be free from our past, we need to know how to be free to live in our present, where we live, where we work, where we play. So I want to share a scripture with you before I share that. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, did you know you're being watched right now? I know that. Don't get all creeped out. This is a cloud of witnesses who are cheering you on as though you're coming into an arena. They're there saying, you got this. You can do it. You can make it. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't go backwards. Don't wave the white flag. Don't throw in the towel. You can do this. And look what it says. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Right now, all of us are running a race. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're in a race. And it's not like you're against one another. I'm not racing against you and competing against you. In some ways, I'm racing against my own self. In another way, I may be racing against a very real enemy called the devil. But we're racing. We're in a race. We're moving forward. We're moving something down the track. And we have a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. But here's the deal. How do you win the race that you've been called to run if you don't know how to navigate you don't know how to cut off what so easily entangles. So hopefully today will be an encouragement for you. I want to say a couple of things, and I'll just share a couple of things. Number one here, this Christian life is anything but boring. And I, I would literally, in love, say to you this. I wrote it here. If your Christian life is boring, then you need to check both your pulse and your salvation because Jesus is anything but safe. He is disruptive, revolutionary, and good. And all the time, God is good. So I love this quote from C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, I would love to tell you that I read all three of those very long books, but I didn't. I'll watch the movies, okay? So just like some of you. So I'm quoting C.S. Lewis not as an expert, but as one who appreciated the movie screenplay adaptation. Listen to this. There's a line. This Aslan represents Jesus, Messiah, the one coming, the king. And here's, this, here's the line. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Now, she said it with a beautiful British accent. I feel, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I want you to know this about this journey, this adventure that you're on. He is not safe, but he is good. 
And that means by the very nature of who He is, that if He's not safe, then the adventures that He calls us out to... Because remember, we are known as followers of Jesus. To be a follower means you literally get in line and you follow your King, you follow the leader into something. And what is it that Jesus is navigating us into? What is He taking us into? What is this great journey, this great adventure that He's taking us into? And the thing is, it's different for all of us. But I kid you not, He's not safe, but He's good. And you have to get that in your heart even as you navigate. There was a point in my life where at 50 years of age, so that's been about seven years ago, I had, we had moved our family up to Nashville and we were helping out. I was part of an executive team of a, of a church up there and we realized it wasn't a fit, that we'd gotten up there and we are like, this isn't fitting, this isn't really, I'm not in my lane, I'm not doing what I really am passionate about. And so we, we negotiated and navigated a switch where we would now move back down to the Dallas-Fort Worth area from Nashville to help out a church plant, which we'd actually helped start. So we engaged that, there was a guy that was in leadership there, he was kind of a businessman, but it sort of stepped up to carry the ball until God brought the, the senior pastor there. We all agreed I was going to be the senior pastor. We're going to go there. We're going to overlap our tenure just for a little bit. Then he was going to toss me the keys, and we were going to hit the ground running and win Dallas Fort Worth to Jesus. So we were there in the middle of it. We moved our family again, and we were willing to do that because, remember, he isn't safe, but he is good. So we followed this unsafe lion into the next phase of our ministry, and there we were. And after a very short time, it became apparent that the other guy who had been leading the church and had been kind of preaching and whatnot, he asked if we could split 50-50. I said, yeah, during the transition, let's do that. Eventually, I'll be preaching full-time. And so every time he would get up and preach, he would preach about the devil and spiritual warfare and deliverance. Every single time. Because that's what had impacted his life a good number of years ago. So that was his, that was his sugar stick sermon, so to speak. So every time I got up, being the Jesus freak that I am, I would get up and talk about Jesus. Talk about His goodness. Talk about how He died for you so He could give His life to you, so He could live His life through you, and teach people that, hey, you can't make the Sermon on the Mount happen. You're not that good, but Jesus is, and He can do it through you. He can live His life through you. So, I mean, that was what I'd get. I'd get up and say, hey, you can't do this thing. Oh, but Jesus in you can. And and. It was very apparent after not too long that even though it looked like we started off together, that we were going on very divergent paths. So it was almost like a wrestling match where he would get up and preach the devil, I'd get up and preach Jesus, and we were hoping this was working somewhere, but it wasn't working. We were getting increasingly frustrated. Annette was already on staff, and so it was me and Annette, and we've always been together. Everything we do, it's always Jimmy and Annette, not not just Jimmy, not just Annette. We're together. And so she was leading one part of the thing. We were developing systems. The church began to grow, and he changed, the guy changed his mind, decided he didn't want to let me have the church. He decided he liked this arrangement because we were doing all the work, and he got to preach. So it was like, no, this is not the agreement. So we came to, much like Paul and Barnabas, a disagreement. And there needed to be a parting of the ways. So one morning, he gets up to a men's group, and he announces that we're not going to talk about Jesus anymore in our church. We need to stop talking about Jesus. Did y'all just hear what I said? There should have been an audible gasp or something. The barometer, thank you. That was my response. Actually, mine was a little more visceral than that. So he, 
he says this to a group of men in a Bible study. It says, it says Jesus did to Telestai. He finished his work. That's what the Bible says. It is finished. So he's done his job. He's gone. Now it's all about the Father, and we need to quit talking about Jesus. Well, it was just an attack on me. So I'm sitting there going, okay, am I the only one that feels like there's a spotlight on me in the room right now because I'm the Jesus freak? I had no intention of letting that go, by the way. So I knew our meeting later that morning was not going to be pretty. So, but you know what? I don't run from a fight. So I literally showed up and, and I just, I, I said, man, that was heretical what you said. You're on the edge with that one. And I don't appreciate it. And I absolutely disagree. And we need to correct that with those men. And he said, well, I'm glad we met this morning because the Lord has given me a clear word that I am to move you on to your destiny in God. I may not be the smartest, but I'm not dumb. That is code word for you're fired. I had a picture of Trump, you're fired, you know, from, from, the, from that show. But I, I was just like, what? Suddenly, at 50 years of age, never been fired in my life, always experienced favor and promotion and just good things, and all of a sudden, I'm fired. I jump in the car, I make the drive home, and I'm telling you, the hardest call to make was to Annette. To say, hey honey, how's your day going? That's great, how's yours? Well, we just got fired. We got fired. And it just sent us into a tailspin. If you've been through that, if you've ever been through something like that. So let me tell you how I felt. Uh, again, I want to continue the filleting my soul before you. So let me, here's what I felt like. This is real, and some of you have already been there. Some of you are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. The first thing I felt was shame. I was ashamed. I felt shame. Whether it was my fault, whether I did it, whether I set it up, whether I created the situation, at the end of the day, at that moment, I just felt shame. I felt like a failure. Listen, guys. Men, dudes, bros, here's the truth. We gain our identity by what we do. We just do. We, we gain our identity through our work. We gain validation through that. Uh, that we, we like being the breadwinner. We like being out there. We, we gain our identity. Because if you talk to a guy, say, hey, I'm Jimmy. I, you know, uh, I'll say, I'm a pastor. I'll identify myself by what I do. So I say, well, I'm an engineer, I'm an architect, I'm a police officer, I'm a firefighter. And we identify ourselves by our function, and we do that naturally as men, more so than ladies. You, ladies meet, and they go, hey, I'm, I'm Annette, and I feel. You know? <laughs> We're like, I am, you are like, we feel. And so that's just, there's a difference between men and women, right? Mars and Venus. So... When that stripped from you, and really, in that moment, it felt stolen from me. You feel shame, you feel anger, you feel, oh, anger. Ooh. Bible says, be angry, but do not sin. Oh, I was so on the edge of that one. I'm just saying. <laughs> See, I wasn't raised in church, and there's a tendency occasionally to revert back to B.C., that's before Christ, and just want to go old school on somebody. You know what I'm saying? None of you, none of you. This is a long time ago, seven years ago, eight years ago. I felt injustice because it was wrong. I thought, really, Lord? I've got your back. I'm preaching Jesus, and I just got crushed. I just got fired for preaching Jesus 
in a church. Hello? In America. In America. America. We don't say America here. We say America. And I, I literally, the injustice, the betrayal, because A, he was, had been, was a friend of mine. Two, it wasn't just that he was functioning as an interim pastor. Here's another big one, embarrassment. I just felt embarrassed. Because, you know, the whole litany of things, I'm sure y'all would never think anything like this, but you start thinking, what are my friends going to think? What are the people that I've ministered to in other churches and led churches and led ministries going to think when they find out Pastor Jimmy got fired, he got canned, he got the slip? Loss. I had to grieve. I just lost something. Not only did I lose being in that and my identity being tied up in all of that, but also I lost being a part of a movement that I'd been a part of for 13 years and poured my heart into. I'd moved my chips to the middle of the table with this group of people. So we were planting churches, and that went away with that. And then humiliation. Don't mistake being humbled for humiliation. One is redemptive in nature. To be humbled is a good thing. To be humiliated is crushing to your soul. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the last one, I felt tremendous fear. What now? What next? So my question for you is, how have you in your past, maybe even your present, navigated shame, failure, anger, injustice, betrayal, embarrassment, loss, humiliation, and fear? What did you do? Where did you go? Well, the majority of Americans... They go to their stress relief, their escape. It could be alcohol, it could be pornography, it could be a lot of things. It could be an affair, it could be a lot of things. But Americans run to stuff to fill the void, to fill the gap. And to numb out and self-medicate the shame, the embarrassment, the pain. And We all know people who've done that and maybe we have ourselves run to some stuff. But maybe there's a better place to go with that. So it brought me to a crossroad, and Annette as well, our family. Because our daughter was in middle school at the time. So, I mean, it was this ripple effect, it doesn't just affect you when you get the pink slip. It affects everybody. So it brought us to a crossroad decision. Here's the, here it is. I wrote it down because I want you to see it. Will I run from God in the midst of disappointment? There's the real question, church. Beloved, here's the question for you. Will you run from God in the midst of disappointment? Or will I run toward him with abandon? It's a decision each of us has to make in real time right now in the present. We sat down as a family. We had a conversation. We said this. First of all, the church did not do this to us. A dude did this to us. They didn't do this to us. Them, y'all, you guys, whatever you say. Them, they, there. See, we have, a, I have this tendency in our human nature to sort of paint these broad strokes. I've lost count of how many people tell me, the church hurt me. And I'm like, who? We mean the church. The body of Christ crushed you? You had a conflict in a church that was full of very messed up, broken people. Whether they admit it or not, they are. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck, right? So look around the room. No perfect people allowed here. Amen? 
all of us here at some level or another probably, or at least the very vast majority, have been hurt in a church scenario, but it wasn't the church that hurt you. Nobody has that kind of power. So we made up our mind. We are not going to be bitter and angry against the church. How easy it is and convenient to just do one broad stroke and then just go about our lives and never attend a church again. We decided we were going to run to Jesus with abandon, but we were also not going to abandon the bride because the bride didn't do this. So, we became church junkies in the aftermath of this. We were in three life groups at one time, folks. We were like, we showed up to life groups that it said closed on the thing. We just showed up at their house and said, we're here. And that was the one that led me into my job with Dave Ramsey. It was a great open door. If we had not broken the door down to get into that life group. Why? Because no one, no devil in hell was going to keep us from what we know gives us life. Because we understand connection is protection. And so we were not going to be out there on our own because of a dude. They, them, those people, that church. No. No. So we ran to him. But what about you? Are you mad at the church? They, them, those people, those guys. Are you mad because the whole body of Christ has a conspiracy against you? More than likely, it's one or two. Maybe three. So here's what it did. It led me back to a series of core values. And this is where I want to take us today, and we're going to end with this. A series of core values that... And understand what a core value is. A core value means it's who you are when you show up. Core value is not an objective. It's not something you're trying to aspire to. Those are goals and objectives. A core value is when this guy shows up, or if you have the core values of an organization, when we show up, this is what happens. And so right now, we're watching core values emerge right here at Oak Hills Fredericksburg as we're on the road to independence. We're seeing core values emerge, and we'll be enumerating those over time. But you also have personal core values that become anchor points for you when the wind and the storm comes. And it will come if it hasn't. That's not a doomsday prediction. That's just life. So here we go. I just threw them all up there so you can see them all at one time. This led me back to these core values. Number one, and I'm just going to enumerate these quickly. First thing is, God is good, period. My circumstances may not be, right? Things break, wheels fall off, betrayal happens, people die. People get the C diagnosis. Things happen. Life happens. Spouses have affairs. Junk happens. But God is good no matter what. Amen. Now, I didn't say He was safe, to quote C.S. Lewis. But He is good. And if that becomes your anchor point, then no matter what happens on this earth, you can and you will navigate it. And like the song says, the cliche, what doesn't kill you, that's not exactly true. Sometimes it just kills you. <laughs> but what doesn't kill you, God will turn for your good, according to Romans 8, 28. He makes all things work together for the good. 
to those who love Him, to those who are the called according to His purpose. So even though circumstances may very well kill you, listen, He will turn things on your behalf. Because why? He's a good God. When I made up my mind years ago that this is a non-negotiable, and that's what core values are, is that God is good, it shifted my perspective to realize that when, I, when something bad happens, it's not forever. It's not forever. Here's another one. Life is not fair. Thank you, Mom. And Granny and Granddad and Daddy and everybody else in my life. Coach Thompson. I mean, the list goes on. Every time I whined as a kid, I was told, in love, life is not fair. Well, it's just not fair. Life is not fair. Have you ever found yourself sounding like your parents? Is that shocking to you sometimes? Like, ah, never thought that would happen. I sound just like my granddad. I sound just like my dad. This may sound obvious, but when it becomes a value, you begin to realize if life is not fair, I shouldn't expect life to treat me fair. And you know what that strips out of your, out of your life? It strips entitlement right out of your life. Hello. Suddenly it's like, hey, okay, here, this straight up theological thing. You do realize when you stepped over the line to follow Jesus that in Christ you're now crucified. Yeah, sorry to throw the Bible out on you, but listen to this. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and through me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. So here's the deal. You're dead. Do dead men have rights? You can answer. Do dead people have rights? Oh, they're dead. Guess what? We're dead. We don't have rights and entitlements. Man, I know that flies in the face of a bunch of Texans, but I'm just saying... Alamo's just down the street. But here's the deal. When you're dead, you don't have rights. You have privileges that are given to you by God, but not rights. Life is not fair. And everybody said, ooh. Okay, here it is. This is not my home. Do you realize that you're a citizen of another kingdom? When that dropped for me, it just shifted my thinking to realize this is temporary and subject to change. All this junk that we're getting so worked up over. My gosh, give me 10 minutes of Fox News and I'm ready to go kill somebody. It's like, I cannot watch this stuff anymore because it'll completely dominate my mind, my thinking, my emotions. And frankly, I don't have the capacity for all that negativity. So here's the deal. This is not my home. I can only manage so much junk. And so I have to keep my mind more focused. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Where we begin to set our minds and realize we are citizens of another kingdom. You know why Jesus could sleep in the bow of a boat in the middle of a storm? It's because He was dreaming of the other kingdom. His mind was somewhere else. And then He gets up out of that dream and the disciples are freaking out. What? Do you, do you care if we perish? And Jesus is like trying to wake up because he's like been dreaming of, of his other place. He's dreaming of the kingdom that he's already a part of. And in, and he's like, why are you so worked up over this? First of all, I'm in the boat. We'll probably be okay. Even if I'm asleep. Why? Because he was a citizen of another kingdom. When you get that, you begin to realize the stuff of this life, this earth, the stuff that's in, that we get so worked up may not mean as much as we think it does. That's right. 
Here's another one. This kind of goes back to the life is not fair, but I couldn't shake it. No one owes me anything. You don't owe me an apology. You don't owe me a thank you. You don't owe me, excuse me, sir. You don't owe me anything. It's nice when it happens, but you don't owe it to me. When you get to the point where you don't expect stuff out of people, you lower your expectations. I mean this in a good way. We have unrealistic expectations on other people's lives, and because they don't meet the bar that we set for them without letting them know they have a high bar, then what happens is the disparity between where they are Where we want them to be and where they actually are creates angst and frustration and disappointment. And we live a disappointed life. Some of us need to lower our expectations on one another and start seeing each other as the imago Dei that we are, which is the image of God. I look around the room, and when I take a moment to actually enter into it, I can go, this is a beautiful group of people. You may be a reprobate for all I know, but here's the deal. The image of God is in you. The Elohim element lives in you, dwells in you. And when I look for that and not for your behavior, I see beauty. That's how this works for me. So I'm not going to expect anything out of you because you don't owe me anything in the first place. Guess what? I don't live disappointed life when you don't say thank you. When you don't say attaboy. When you don't validate me or affirm me. It makes a difference. Here's another one. Found this, man, this is a deep one too, Igbok. Found this on a coffee mug. It's where you find all the deep stuff, right? The internet and coffee mugs. I found Igbok on a coffee mug at Puckett's Grocer, and and it's a meet-and-three. If you're a southerner, you know what I'm talking about. It's a meet-and-three restaurant in Franklin, Tennessee, and we were in there waiting to be seated because there's always a crowd there. And live music, it's just a great place. And we're waiting to be seated. And I look and there's a wall of mugs. You know how when you're in an awkward moment where you're standing there waiting to be seated and it's you know, just kind of awkward. And so you just look for something to read just to distract yourself for a second. So I'm re- looking at t-shirts. And I see these coffee mugs. And on a coffee mug it says Igbok. Well, it caught my attention. So I'll walk over to the coffee mug. And in small print underneath it, It says, it's going to be okay. I don't know if you ever got a heavy refi out of a coffee mug beside your coffee, but I'm telling you, that spoke to me. And I remember thinking, God, you are so good that you would have a coffee mug and use it to tell me everything's going to be okay. Hey, he used a donkey to speak to Balaam. And give him what he needed in the moment. But I'm telling you, God can speak through anything. Amen? Amen. Even a coffee mug. It's going to be okay. When you get that in your mindset, that look, in the end we win, and in the meantime we win, this is a win-win thing. There's not a lot of win-wins in our world today, but I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're on adventure with Him, you believe He's not safe but good, then let me tell you, the rest of this life becomes a win. And you begin to celebrate all movement, millimeter or mile, you just throw a party for it because it's going to be okay. Here's another one. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. Love will win the day. You know the power of love? The Bible tells us this, that love will actually cover over a multitude of sins. Man, if love has the power to cover sins, can you imagine what it has the power to do if I will love you well. 
I'm not always lovable. Just ask Annette. I'm not always lovely. Just ask Annette. I mess up. I make mistakes. But here's the deal. No matter how stupid I get, I cannot take away from Annette her capacity and ability to love me. I can't take that away from her. She can, by choice, step in and love me irregardless. No one can take away from you your capacity to love. They can steal everything else, but they can't do that. If you can't love someone, it's because you've allowed them to take it from you, but it's not theirs to take. The power of love. Listen, love wins the day. Love wins. Love covers, love wins. I remember when I really realized and had the revelation, that means an understanding that wasn't there before, it was revealed. When I had the revelation that I am loved no matter what by God, it changed my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. And there's some of you sitting here right now, you feel unworthy, you feel like you don't have what it takes, and you don't feel like you're lovely or lovable or that you're worthy. And that's why shame rules your life because you don't feel like you're worthy. But I'm telling you, there is a father who's a... Listen, Chris Tomlin didn't write the song in the first place, but that song, Good, Good Father... It's not just a clever song with a good hook. It's a truth. He is a good father. He's not ashamed of you. I'm talking about everybody in this room and anyone listening by podcast. He is not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. He's not disappointed in you. He radically, extravagantly loves you. He's nuts about you. I started something called the Tilted Halo Society a number of years ago. It was just a group of us guys that were writing things online together. And there's still a few members of the THS. I'm the founding member. And all it means is that I live life with a tilted halo. But God loves me. And because I know that, I can navigate whatever comes along. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Here's another one. His grace is enough. Again, not just a great Chris Tomlin song. His grace is enough is where Paul had prayed three times to remove this thorn, and God in his love and extravagant love for Paul said no. Have you ever read that? Paul goes to him three times. He's got this thing that's holding him back. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is. It's a good thing because we would marginalize it and say, at least I don't have that problem. So so the the Lord in his genius keeps it vague enough so that we go, I might have that problem. I don't know what Paul was dealing with. But what we do know is it was holding him back, at least in Paul's estimation. And Paul cried out to God three times, please take this away from me. And God says, in a nice way, again in code language, You know, we all have code language, right? When we tell our kids, maybe, we all know what that means. Sorry to give up trade secrets. We have young people in here. Or we make it spiritual. I'll pray about that. That's what our staff knows when we ask you to serve and you say, I'll pray about that. We know exactly what that means. Just saying, the gig's up. Code language, we all do it, right? 
So when Paul goes to God and God says in code, he says, my grace is enough. For my power is perfected. It's shown through your weakness. We all know that just simply means no. God's saying no. I'm not going to take it away from you. Wait a minute, this is a good God, right? He's good all the time. This is a good God saying, no, I'm not going to take away this thing that's holding you back and besetting you. So Paul turns the corner with it and realizes, apparently my weakness reflects the glory of God somehow, some way, and makes me dependent on Him. So Paul says this in that same passage. He says, I will now boast about my weaknesses. You know what that is, church? That's vulnerability. Brene Brown, who did a 10-year research on shame and vulnerability, did a TED Talk eight years ago that now has over 9 million views. It's one of the highest-rated TED Talks, highest viewed. Went viral. She went from being an obscure researcher and data collector to a phenom in, in the current culture. By the way, she is a follower of Jesus. Sharp lady. She's from Texas. That's a, bu- that's a bonus. And she's just an amazing person. But she now has developed this whole thing about vulnerability. Listen, this isn't new news. Paul flat out said, I will, I will boast in my weaknesses as it will reveal the power of God. He's saying, I'm going to open myself up. That's why I felt free to do it last week and today. Just tell you, hey guys, I'm dealing with stuff just like you. But God. But God. So listen to this. His grace is enough, Period. My history in God gives me faith for today and hope for tomorrow. This is the last one. The fact that you've walked with God and that you still have a pulse, anybody who's willing to, some of you can sit there and look mad, but here's the deal. Would you just check your pulse for a second? Just do it. I know everybody won't participate. Some of you feel this is corny. Can you feel your pulse? If you can't, let us know. (laughs) Help is here. (laughs) I feel my pulse right now. You know what that tells me? Because where there's a pulse, there's a promise. Where there's a pulse, there's still a purpose. Those of you that sit here, right here, thinking you've committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't or you wouldn't have one of these right now. Where there's a pulse, there's still a promise. There's a purpose. You're alive today because God still has great, great use of you and a great love for you. And something to do, something to become. And that's why I lean into these values, because they have helped me navigate. My history in God tells me this. He came through for me then, which means He will come through for me now. Do you have that in your heart? It's easy to say when you're on the mountain, but when, let me just say it, when the proverbial crap hits the fan... You still have to say, wait a minute. I have a history in God. The same God that got me through that will get me through this. The same God who helped me navigate that pain will now help me navigate what's going on right here. That is your history in God. And there are times when we have to go back to our history in God in order to have faith for today and hope for tomorrow. And that's who He is. Let me close with our quote that we started with. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I love that question. 
I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Can you pray with me? Father, we love you. We honor you. We bless you. And I thank you for all of my friends and my spiritual family that are sitting here today. Father, we're all at different um, places on the journey navigating stuff. Navigating the shift that happens in our lives. We're in the middle of it. So Father, I'm asking a favor from a son to a good father. Would you release grace for every person here today, right now, to latch hold of this. That there is faith for today and hope for tomorrow. Because of our history with you. If we didn't have good history with you, we wouldn't be in this room hearing this today. So all we can say is thank you, Father, for how good you have been. What you've brought me through, but also what you're going to bring me to. And so we lean in, we trust, we know that you're good. Oh, we also know you're not safe. We get that. But we know you're good because you are our king. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, we're going to invite our prayer team to come up to the front right now. If you would, prayer team. We're going to be here. We're just going to hang back for a little bit. If you need prayer for any reason, maybe you're in the middle of navigating all this stuff we've been talking about, then we want you to come up and just, just come and just talk to one of these. And All you have to say is, is uh, I'm in the middle of it. We'll know what it means. You don't have to go into details. We're just here to hold your arms up and to help you. That's it. To pray with you, stand with you, so that you don't feel like you're all by yourself and alone in this thing. Sometimes it's good to just have somebody stand with you. Let's finish our prayer. Father, we love you. As we go out from here, give us grace to overflow life. For every waiter, waitress, person we engage, where we live, where we work, and where we play this week, may we be known for the overflow of life that comes out of us everywhere we go. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Love you. God bless you.